Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I'm Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone as I am driving home from work. It is Monday, June 17th, 2019. Uh, just the day after the Las Vegas Masters Tour. And uh, into a brave new world, because this is, I think, the first time... I've been podcasting for a long time, and I think this is the first time that I've continued a podcast past 100 episodes. I've gotten to 100, and I think that we had, like, one that was 101 that was, like, go to this new thing. But I don't think I've actually recorded an episode 101 of any of my podcasts. So we are in uncharted waters, friends. But thank you for coming along with me for the ride. Um, so... I recorded a whole long thing with Blister Guy last week about staving off tilt and trying to avoid crashing down to the floor. And guess what I did this week? I crashed down to the floor. I was playing this this Tempo Bomb Warrior around this time last week. And it was doing actually reasonably well. It, it was I forget who the player was, and I'll, I'll try to dig up a, a link and put it in the show notes. I don't know that I'd recommend it now, but it was a good idea at the time, which, and the thing with Bomb Warrior that I'm learning, and I'm especially learning it after watching some of uh, the Masters Tour this weekend, is that Bomb Warrior is really a mid-range deck with control tools and not a control deck that can go face, and playing it that way actually does help your win rate fairly well, and and. So this this build of it was kind of leaning hard into that and like replacing things like Omega Devastators and uh, Dynomatics with like Corcron Elites and uh, Rabid Wargans and just a lot more like minions that can attack the turn you play them, whether they have Rush or Charge. And, and the idea was good and it was actually doing well for me for a while. And then what happened was that the Vicious Syndicate report came out and said, hey, Bomb Warrior's everywhere and Rogue's everywhere, so you should be playing Control Warrior, so a lot of people did, and that Bomb Warrior was not good against Control Warrior, because it just did, it didn't even have, I don't even think it ran Augmented Alec. It just didn't have enough damage in it to overcome, like, the sheer amount of armor that a Control Warrior can come up with, and I, being an idiot <laughs> that does not listen to my own advice... Instead of saying, yeah, maybe I should take a day and let this pass, decided to play literally anything else, and uh, things did not go well. So I ended up going all the way back down to the floor. I was struggling to get back up. I was playing just a bunch of, you know, decent, all-around good decks just to get myself out, except that I was also doing that on Sunday when driving to and from a lacrosse thing uh, for one of my daughters, and ended up you know, losing some of the small progress that I'd made back by, um, by losing to disconnects. Uh, but eventually I just went back to old, regular, boring bomb warrior, not even the tempo version, just like a normal bomb warrior. I think I cut one acolyte of pain for an Azalina soul thief, just to be able to deal with the control warriors that are running, uh, Archivist Elysiana, because Archivist Elysiana I don't think is worth, and I've been saying this for like months, but I don't think Archivist Elysiana is worth playing just for the warrior matchup, but Azalina Soul Thief sometimes comes in handy, even in other matchups because, like, against the warrior, you just wait, and then 
you know, right before they're about to uh, swap their deck out, you play it and you get their Elysiana and you can kind of keep pace in terms of fatigue. But it comes in handy in other um, in other matchups, particularly against some of the shamans that are running Shutterwalks. Because if you can get their Shutterwalk, who boy do you set off some fireworks? Um, so I, I kind of like the Azalina in that in that regard. Um, sometimes when I'm playing that list, I'll cut the Omega assemblies for some more proactive tools. This this time around, I'm not. I'm just kind of using the standard Bomb Warrior list with um, Acolyte of Pain cut for the Azalina. It seems to be working okay. I mean, ultimately, you're, you're getting... It's almost like Divine Favor when you think about it. Like, you're getting a whole bunch of cards based on how many cards your opponent's holding. And if your opponent's holding a lot of cards, you're going to get a lot of cards. Now, if they're holding that many cards... Late in the game, a lot of them are just not going to be useful because they've been ha- holding them that long. But you can generally time it for, like, after something like an Omega Assembly or a um, or a Harrison Jones Weapons Project turn or something like that where they've just gotten a bunch of stuff in their hand that they haven't gotten a chance to play out yet. And sometimes just, like, dropping Azalina when you run out of stuff to do just to get a little bit more stuff is fine. Like, you end up with some junk cards that you can't play in a control matchup anyway. So, long story short, I got myself up back up to the middle of rank three after a long journey down in the rank five uh, morass. <laughs> uh, and I, I probably should just stick with Bomb Warrior. It seems like it's a good enough deck. I sometimes do get countered. There's a lot of Bomb Hunter out there. I've just been trying to play more proactively against them and also prioritize my armor game. And that's been sort of helping. I mean, sometimes you just lose... But that's like a coin flip of a matchup anyway, and I think as more the more that I play the matchup, the better I'm getting at it. So I don't know if that's a recommendation to you. I've, I tried a whole bunch of stuff, and some of it worked well for a little while, but I just wasn't enjoying it. Like I tried Sliss's Murloc Shaman, that was okay. I I, I I could see how it's powerful, and I just wasn't enjoying the play style. Um, like I've never been a fan of just like try to stick a board for one turn so you can blow your opponent out with some, you know, some card that makes you uh, buff all your minions on board. Like, that's never been the kind of play style that I like. Because, like, when you fall behind, it just feels terrible. And, like, I tried some Hook Tusk Shaman. I tried some... Or Chuck Tusk Rogue. I tried some Freeze Mage. I tried some Cyclone Mage. Uh, nothing was really working great for me, and, and this has been working okay. So I, I guess I'm, I'm just going to stick with this for the time being. And try to take a break other than rather than switch and follow my own advice. If I'm starting to feel like I'm getting countered, I think the thing on Thursday was legit because the vicious syndicate meta report does legitimately warp the meta for about a day until people counter the counter. Um, but I probably also should have known better. But anyway, I, I, I fixed the damage for now. <laughs> I, I mean, you talk to me tomorrow, it could be a very different story. But for now. Uh, we fixed the problem and we're, um, we're, we're back on track. And that's really all we can ask for about the middle of the month. Alright, so this week's topic is going to be a little bit nerdy. More so than usual. And we're going to get into some coding stuff. And if... I, it's, it's Hearthstone related, but it may not be exactly what most people are tuning in for. And if you listen to a couple minutes of this and you decide this is not up your alley, like no, no hard feelings. Like I know that this is not going to be what everybody tunes in for. A lot of times people are looking for 
you know, strategy or mindset or how to play a deck. And we'll get back to that next week. Uh, assuming that there's no breaking news, you know, between now and then. But I want to talk about so the this this deck list leak or this deck class leak that happened during uh, Las Vegas Masters Tour this past weekend. Because I'm kind of a little bit closer to the details than most people. I know there's been a lot of people who have been kind of asking about what it is and, and what happened. And I guess I'm kind of in a decent place to explain it. So that's what I'm going to do. I don't normally talk about competition stuff. I don't normally talk about coding stuff. This is a lot of stuff that I, I don't normally get into, but I feel like enough people seem to like when I was talking about the different things involved in building the dashboards. And this is, uh, you know, this is common, uh, current events, right? So again, disclaimer, this is the topic. If that's not interesting to you, uh, understood, um, you know, give it, give it a couple minutes and see if you might be interested because you might learn something anyway. So I was actually, I, again, I was home on staycation last week and, and it kind of worked out because I was able to do a lot of the updating and whatnot for, uh, the, the dashboard that I maintain for the Las Vegas masters tour. And, and I ended up having to put in more coding than I expected to over the course of Friday, because I was not expecting uh, to have to manage some of the things that were done a little bit differently because it was an in-person event rather than uh, an online event. Mainly, if you're interested, a lot of the things that I do to uh, throw out matches where somebody just drops in the middle of a tournament is I'm checking to see if both players have marked themselves as ready, but that's something that they only do online and they weren't doing that in the venue. So I had to put in some changes to account for that. That's neither here nor there. Uh, a, a couple of hours before, so the tournament started at 9 a.m. Pacific, which is about noon Eastern time, my time. And about like, I don't know, 10, 1030 in the morning, there was this person who, frankly, I'd never seen before. Um, and, and, you know, when you work in the in the Hearthstone data, I don't want to say work because like I'm not getting paid for any of this. But when you're when you're active in like Hearthstone data Twitter, like you kind of know the people who are doing data analysis. Like there's me, there's uh, Zacho from from Vicious Syndicate, there's Mega Man Music, there's um, Old Guardian. There, there's a few people who are like um, in, in Shanghai and in over in Asia Pac as well. Like there's a few of us who are kind of posting things fairly regularly. You recognize the names. This is not somebody who I recognized. And they posted a thing about two hours before the tournament started that was like, oh, here are the classes that are going to be played in in the Las Vegas Masters Tour today. And this was a big deal because deck lists were not yet final. So let's talk about like what's what's going on here and and what this affected because this was kind of a big controversy and and i think this ought to be a big controversy honestly because from what i understand this was kind of a known a known issue that had been reported to battlefy a few times uh at least once by like a high level shadowverse admin and they had not done anything about it until it was affecting a major tournament so this guy posts this this list of class. I shouldn't say guy. 
this person posted this list of classes like two hours earlier and like a few of us were like, well, what do you do? Right? Like you don't want to not, you know, so I, I posted about it without retweeting it because like I didn't really want to spread the information though. There were some other people that said, well, it's out. You may as well get it to as many people. So it has the least amount of competitive impact at that point. Um, but ultimately it looks like what happens is that the way that you're getting data from a site like Battlefy is through what's called an API. Now, now, if you're not a developer, an API is pretty similar to like a web URL. So like when you go to a web page and you put in a URL, that's got generally the page. Sometimes if you're like paging through, like let's say you're on HS Replay, right? And you're, you're paging through the list of decks. You might be passing a parameter without knowing it by clicking like the next button and it's saying, give me results 10 through 20, right? So, and, and what's happening is that's giving your browser back uh, a set of data that's telling it how to render all, it's giving it all the data and, and instructions on how to render it. So an API is pretty similar in that it, instead of giving it instructions on how to render the data, it's just giving like a structured data set. So like, it looks a lot like HTML ultimately, um, or sometimes it's, it's structured a little bit differently. If it's, if it's JSON, it's not always structured that way, but it's basically just kind of a nested set of data. So like if, when I get say a match, right, I'm going to get the match number. I'm going to get the, uh, you know, the match ID, which is some unique identifier that you can go back and get it from. You get the round number, you'd get, um, a a list of players and then each player would have some attributes. You'd have a name, you'd have a battle tag, you'd have whether they win or lost. Um, you know, you might have like the time of the tournament, stuff, you know, stuff like that. Like you're getting a lot of like groups of data that are kind of chunks and, and every chunk is, consistent for the most part. Like they may or may not be there, but you're getting a chunk of data and then you can kind of take that and then interpret that how you will once you have that data. So when I'm using an API for the match data, right? Like I'm looking at the, the, you know, the player information, I'm getting a deck list. I'm saving that off to one place. And then I'm using, I'm, I'm using that to infer what the archetype is later on. I'm getting um, each match, um, even each game, I can get the game information. I'm not, but uh, like, I'm getting the match information. I'm getting who won and who lost. I'm getting what round number it is. Um, I'm getting the players so I can associate that to, uh, you know, sum up all the wins and losses over the course of a tournament. You get the idea. So ultimately you're just getting, you're, you're putting this URL in, in this case, the program into a program. Like if you're Looking at a web URL, you'd be putting into a browser window and it's executing in a certain way. When you're calling an API, you're putting into like some sort of a script um, or a program that's then calling that out. It gets back this data set and then you can you can run through it and you can do um, you can do different things based on the data that you're getting back. So the thing with an API is that you need to understand how to call it. Um like smash GG, let's take smash GG, for example, like smash GG's developers are really good about 
you know, making all of the documentation for their API public and, you know, telling you how to call it. So, so again, think about a web page, right? Like if I, on my web page, like, let's say that I just had the one main web page and I had like the specialist meta dashboard somewhere else, but I didn't have any links to it. You would need to know what the address is for getting the specialist meta report, if that's what you're looking for. And, you know, if you're looking for like the second page, you want to get that exactly, you need to know what other, they're called parameters, but what other, you know, options or flags or whatever you wanted to set and what things you can do with it, right? Like, ultimately, you need something to tell you generally what you can do with with the API and what things are available. Every one of those things that you're calling out to, every one of those URLs is called an endpoint. So like there would be an endpoint for matches, there'd be an endpoint for deck list, there'd be an endpoint for player information, for tournament information, for bracket information. You get the idea, right? Every one of those is called an endpoint. And then the endpoints generally have different parameters that you can call to get whatever you want, to, to get what you need out of it. So in Smash GG's case, everything's public. They have really good documentation. They tell you everything you need. And then, you know, people will test against it. And if they see something weird, they'll let the developers know their developers are generally pretty okay about, about, uh, you know, in my experience with working with them, they're pretty responsive and they, they fix things and they've, they actually put together a whole deck list API, um, back when DreamHack was a thing, um, so that I could get all the, the deck lists out of, um, out of Smash GG for DreamHacks. And, and they were pretty awesome to work with. So, Battlefy is, is, has an API as well, but it's undocumented. So you kind of need to know either through somebody telling you or from working, you know, obviously working there, um, or somebody else telling you or having some other code example to work off of what kinds of things you can do to get it. So it presents some challenges. Like I, you know, I, I know based on, you know, collaborating with some of the other people in data Twitter, like how to get stuff out and, and how to get the stuff that I need. But I, I don't know all the different things that you can do. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think anybody outside of Battlefy really, really does. And it turned out that this, um, this person was using another endpoint uh, to query all the data for the tournament and get all the classes that the players have brought. Um, just for full disclosure, when I run my code, I'm, I don't, I get stuff out of the brackets, so I don't get anything until a bracket is set and brackets aren't set until the tournament is live after all the deck lists are, um, are, are locked in because they wait until everybody submits their deck list and then they seed people generally for a Swiss tournament. So, um, I don't get any, I don't get any information until the bracket set. So I can't, uh, you know, get any information early, nor do I want to, right? Because Ultimately, I don't, I don't want to be affecting the results of a tournament. And, you know, what can you do when you know what all the classes are, especially in a, in a specialist tournament where everybody's bringing one class? Well, for starters, you can say, well, screw this deck. I'm going to a different lineup that I've been testing. And, and from what I understand, that's uh, Dog won the tournament. That's what Dog did. That doesn't mean that Dog cheated. By the way, I want to be real clear. Um, I, I don't think that Dog did anything wrong. Because he didn't go out and 
look for this information or try to get it and get a, get a competitive advantage. Some random person posted it and the information's out there. And like, if that information is available to anybody who could find it, I, I think that he's within his rights to make use of it. And, you know, and, and I think that enough people saw it that you either, you, you may have been disadvantaged if you weren't in front of your computer at that point, but you know, he wasn't going out and trying to get this information to give himself a competitive advantage, but the information was out there and he took advantage of it. I mean, it's like any other information that's meta information around a tournament. That That's the kind of thing that a competitor will do, right? Um, like, like in football, this is why, American football, this is why the head coaches will cover their play calling sheets because they, when you watch them, they're, they're hovering, they're holding it over their head. They're, they're covering their mouth when they're call when they're playing the call, because like, it's not illegal for somebody to be watching the feed on, on the camera and then pick up what they're calling and then, you know, adjust accordingly. Right. You're using, making use of the information that's available to you. It's just, you can't do things to go out of your way to acquire that information. So anyway, so they were using some other and some other endpoints that was providing this information before the deck lists were public. And then they were publishing that number and you and you can tell that things changed because they posted updated numbers several times throughout the tournament or throughout the morning rather. And the first number didn't add up to the full number of people who were registered for the tournament. And then this the the final numbers were were closer. And they eventually did line up with the with the numbers that came out um, from the you know from the from the official stats later on. So these were a legit leak, and they got from some sort of another endpoint to publish these classes, and then decided to release them before the start of the tournament. And then players who had access that to that were then free to adjust accordingly. So. You know, later in the week, and this was reported to Battlefy. A lot of people tweeted at Battlefy, and around I think Sat, I forget it was Saturday night. Um, Battlefy eventually released a, a tweet that said they or they first were saying, "Well, we were looking for information around the leak, and you know, anyone please provide us. We we take competitive integrity really seriously." And then later on in the weekend, I think on Saturday, they said, "Well, we looked at the data." And it looked like two only two players changed classes um, from what they originally locked in, and so we don't believe that competitive competitive integrity was violated. And wow, this was not a good take. So there's a lot of things that are wrong with this statement. You know, the first of which being that not all, not all the players had actually locked in their deck list. So you would have to be like in the minds of a player who was waiting until the very last minute to even put a deck list into battle five to begin with, to know if they changed what they were going to put in between when they saw the leaks and when they, um, and when they submitted. Um, but even without changing classes and, and, you know, again, dog did, but many people didn't. But one thing that you would do is, you know, very often you're, you're, aiming your primary deck and specialist to counter whatever you think is going to be the most popular deck at the tournament. So let's say that you 
think that Mage is going, Cyclone Mage is going to be the deck that people bring most often, you would put text in your primary deck that would be like a big game Hunters or Super Colliders or whatever to deal with the Cyclone Mages. So, with full knowledge that Warrior was like 30% of the meta before the deck lists were final, players would be free to, within the same class, just change which deck was their primary. Just put the, every every player very likely had an anti-warrior deck in their lineup just because warrior has been such a prevalent deck for so long. So they could just make that the primary, keep the same deck that they've been practicing. Now, granted pro players and I, you know, I'd, I'd had a conversation with Sidonia over the weekend and, you know, he pointed out that, you know, player, I thought that it would be, you know, that would be common. And he said, well, you know, pro players are, have practiced so many different lineups. It's not a big deal to swap one out for for another last minute, which is fair. But I think a lot of people who aren't necessarily top-tier pro players or, or players who are playing Hearthstone 100% full-time, they may not want to change out the lineup that they'd finally settled on and practice on, but they may change out the primary list. Or they could change the, the tech cards that are in one of their lists to be more hard, you know, hard-teched against Warrior, knowing that they're going to get use out of that. Right, So there's a lot of things that you can do with that knowledge, either changing the list that you were going to submit before it w- before you actually went to submit it in the first place, or just swap around the, the individual decks. Just not the fact that to, not many classes had changed is kind of irrelevant. You would need to have kind of a detailed list of all the changes that were made by who. And then even that wouldn't tell the whole story because some people just didn't lock in, right? And that, then you kind of have to know what they were going to do before. In the case of Dog, we do, but most people we wouldn't. So, especially the fact that Dog did win the tournament kind of dis, you know, discredited the statement that Battlefy made over the weekend that competitive integrity wasn't affected. Competitive integrity was 100% affected. That doesn't mean that Dog, again, doesn't mean Dog cheated, and he still had to play exceptionally well with the lineup that he had in order to win the tournament, but did he get a couple percentage points over somebody else? Probably. That knowledge made a difference, and, and I think that this is a real big problem for Battlefy, and, and so what they said was that they, they took the endpoint that was exposing the classes, and they, they disabled it, but I mean they would have had to do that really quickly because as soon as the tournament started, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, it may affect qualifiers if, they, if there are other people out there that know what this endpoint is and are able to access it, and, and it sounded like there were at least some people who were aware of that and were using that to their advantage. And, and if that's the case, that kind of is a bigger problem because, like it sounds like this was kind of a known thing among some circles. And if it was, then that kind of throws a lot of the competitive integrity into all the, the tournaments that battle five has been managing in doubt, which is kind of a scary thing. Uh, now these things happen, right? Like, you know, you can't, you, you don't necessarily like bugs happen. And I want, I want to be really clear about differentiating between what like management's decisions are and the developers who are writing the code because bugs happen. Things like this will happen. However, it sounds like they were also it was also reported to them months ahead of time and 
they didn't do anything about it. And that's a management decision. So, because I've also seen a lot of conversation around this and talking about how Battlefire sloppy developers and, and whatever. And, and I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like, nobody wants to do a bad job, right? And, and nobody wants to introduce a bug. And I, I assure you that the developers that were actually writing the code are probably as upset as you are that this happened. The, the thing is that if that message isn't getting passed along to them or, the, you know, the people who are receiving that message aren't taking it seriously, then what are the developers supposed to do if they're not being notified, right? Like, you can test all you want. You will get bugs. That will happen. It's a matter of, you know, being, you know, being notified and then responding to it when people find stuff. And, it, and if management didn't pass that along to them, that's management's problem. And, that, and, and quite frankly, it really sucks. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I'm really worried about where we go from here with Battlefy because, like, again, I'm using an undocumented API. They could very easily shut that down, too. And they could just say, well, we're shutting down all the APIs. And that's our solution to it. And, and or, you know, writing new ones or whatever. And then I'll be and then all the, the work that I'm doing for data collection is out is out the window. Um, so I'll be honest that I'm a little bit nervous about that. And, and I would love from a developer standpoint if they would open up their API. Because quite frankly, if you're working with the developer community, like there's there's interest there. And if you're working with the developer community, like people will find this stuff for you and will help you um, will help you fix it, right? Like if you have a bunch of developers, they, they will report bugs to you and then you will be able to get ahead of it, especially if you're, if you're allowing your development team to work with those outside developers. Again, SmashGG is really good about this and it, it, it improves their product. And I think that having public access to this information for stuff like, you know, and I'm being selfish here, but for the stuff that I'm doing, would be great, right? Like, I'd love to be able to provide richer information. Like, they're not... That that information, that data, really isn't... It's not doing anything for them, right? Like, they're just using it to run the site, and, and they need it to do that. Like, there's other analysis that can be done, and quite frankly, a lot of interesting things that can be come out, and they don't have to do that if they're making that available to outside developers to, um, you know, to make use of. So that's kind of my selfish, my selfish opinion. But, but ultimately, I think that this needs to be. There needs to be a lot, a much better response from Battlefy than the one we had this weekend. They did come back and apologize Sunday night, but I don't think that's enough. Like I, I'm looking back, and we talked a couple weeks ago, uh, or not, not, not on this show, but on Coin Concede about the Arch Thief for FOM issue with, with HS Replay. And I would say, given the impact that this bug had compared to that one, I think we need at least that level of response in terms of transparency from Battlefy as far as what happened and what they're doing to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Because, like, a lot of tournament results are really being thrown into doubt right now. Like, we don't know who had access to this. Obviously, this person did. Who else knew about it? It's been out there for months. People have reported it. Has anybody else been using it? Hopefully not, but we don't know. And we know that it affected the results of, uh, potentially, it certainly affected the choice of deck that Dog decided to bring, and he won the tournament. Would he have won the tournament anyway? Maybe. But we're not going to know, and it's going to affect that, like, 
I, I, I fear for Dog that there might be an asterisk attached to this eventually. I would hope not because, I mean, he's a good player and he deserves this win. Like, he's posted a lot of good finishes. And and I was really happy for him that he won the tournament, to be honest. And, and I feel like he deserves it because he's, you know, he's gotten close a lot of times. And I think he gets a, a reputation as just, like, just a streamer. And he is actually a legitimately good player who deserves to have this win. But this, you know, again, this unresolved bug from Battlefy and this lack of attention to it has really, you know, put a stain over the weekend. And it's sad. Because, um, I mean, I think we all want, you know, we all want to have confidence in these tournament results. And, and you know, I don't know, like, a lot of people have been saying, well, this is tournament mode. Just do the Battlefy thing in Hearthstone, even if it's just, like, not in the client, like, on Hearthstone's website. Maybe. Yeah. Um, they'd have to write that, and they're going to have these bugs, too. I would imagine that the the Hearthstone dev team would be a little bit faster to respond if they were worried about the, um, you know, the integrity of their own tournaments, rather than Battlefy managing, you know, one report out of however many. From that perspective, it probably would be a little bit better, but, I mean, these things will happen anyway. Again, it's all how you respond to them. And and the response from Battlefy this weekend was just not good. And I really hope that we get additional, um, you know, additional explanation from this. And we get additional transparency and ideally a public API so that they can allow more people to test for these sorts of things and bring them to our attention. And hopefully they'll be responsive in the future. Here's hoping. Anyway, that was a lot. And thank you for indulging my nerdery. We'll be back to your normal uh, Hearthstone gameplay-related content next week. Um, As always, you can find the show notes for the show and uh, for this episode and every episode, all 100-plus now, at offcurve.com. You can also find the uh, specialist dashboard at offcurve.com slash specialist-meta. You can find my Twitch and Discord on that site as well. You can also find those at um, twitch.offcurve.com and discord.offcurve.com. I just got an emote finished, and I'm waiting for it to be approved, so I'm really excited about uh, next time I stream and be able to open that up to all of you, and you will find that on my Twitter, which is at WickedGood, um, as soon as that is um, ready and I'm streaming and can offer that to uh, to subscribers. And um, you can also follow the show's account at OffCurve if you're just looking for announcements for when new shows go live. Um, you can also support, if you want to support the show, you can do so directly, um, you know, through, through money (laughs) at, um, uh, there's a link in the show notes for how you can support directly through the podcast, or, um, you can also just leave a review on iTunes and, um, that also helps visibility and stuff like that too. Um, so anyway, thanks for, uh, indulging my nerdery this week. Um, we will, we will talk soon. Um, until then, uh, be good to each other. We'll talk soon. Have a good one.